0: Welcome to Shakespeare and Pals, episode 14 on Lucius, Aeneas, Seneca's Medea and Thaestes. This is getting increasingly obscure, this podcast. Why, <laughs> on a podcast about Shakespeare, are we doing an ancient Roman? Why, the answer is simple. We do works by Shakespeare, or by his contemporaries, or by his influences, and there is no greater influence on Renaissance tragedy than Seneca. If you read ancient tragedy, if you wanted to write tragedy in the Renaissance, you read Seneca. Is that for good or for bad? Let us check. Does he deserve his place in the canon? Sophie, what is your relationship with Seneca?
1: I mean, I didn't really have a relationship with Seneca, the author i'm I've you know i've I know about Medea like if anyone has had the classic white girl white boy nerd um phase with constellations and the Roman and Greek ancient myths, you know, you've definitely heard of Medea, so that it already existed. Thaistes, on the other hand, um I had had no relation except oh I know what Tantalus did and what Tantalus uh is in theory still suffering, poor bastard. And uh I will like argue that I kind of have a vague relationship with the character Atreus just because that's also the son's name of uh Dad God, um Kratos,
0: Kratos.
1: Yes, from
0: Boy, that one.
1: Yes, boy is is Atreus. And I was like, okay, that is an that is an interesting choice for a name, considering uh what happens to this Atreus, but that's basically it. That's my relationship with Seneca. I have read none of his uh poetry not poetry, um none of his philosophy. So
0: so you've yeah. not had any stoic bros trying to force the letters of Seneca onto you?
1: Thankfully not yet, but uh, if... It hasn't
0: this... reached Japan, has it?
1: Mm, no, I'm sure it has, maybe. I don't know, but uh, I'm just kind of hoping that this podcast stays on the down low and, enough, and uh, enough on the down low that no one will email going, please, please read Seneca. Please read his. This is stoicism letters, please. And because I won't. I won't.
0: <laughs> is that the worst thing you can imagine becoming famous? Someone begging you to read philosophy.
1: Fuck, I hope not. It would be a weird thing to be famous for. I would much prefer to be famous for other things.
0: My <laughs> relationship with Seneca. I have because I am somewhat interest- was well, somewhat interested in Change a podcast. Uh, Because I am interested in Shakespeare, I know that he is the foundational writer of tragedies, the ones that people read in school in Shakespeare's time, that if you like Renaissance tragedy, then you probably should check out Seneca. And also, because I'm somewhat interested in philosophy, in the modern Stoic movement For because of that, there are quite a lot of reprints and readily available writings of Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, those sorts of people. So you can find these people. And for a long while, I have owned Seneca's books. I have never read them. This is one of the uses of this podcast. Finally having some reason to force myself to get through various things. That is my relationship with Seneca. Pretty much nothing. I do have relation, like Sophie, I do have some relationships with the fundamental myths, but haven't read Seneca's version of them. But now just a brief biography of Seneca, of Lucius Annius Seneca. These biographical details mainly come from Emily Wilson's Oxford World Classics edition of his plays. Seneca was born in Roman dominated Spain. But from there, he managed to work his way up to being a politician in the center of the Roman Empire. He worked under three emperors, under Caligula, under Claudius and under Nero. Seneca started his political career in his late 30s. He spent most of his 20s really studying Really studying, that's it. Tell your mother you're eventually gonna make something of yourself while you spend your time at university. But eventually he did enter politics under Caligula. That was a terrible time to enter politics, as anyone can tell you. Caligula, in fact, did not like how educated and how respected an auditor Seneca was. So it's one thing to be under Caligula, another thing to be disliked by Caligula. Ah, but then Caligula died, and you think it's looking up? Ah, but the next person to come to the throne was Claudius, and Claudius said, Seneca, you had sex with one of Caligula's sisters, you committed adultery, therefore I send you out, I exile you. And so, Seneca was exiled far away, and in this time period, to be away from Rome, you might as well be dead. They would have preferred to be dead and buried on Roman soil than to spend so much time away from the cultural capital. But thankfully, thankfully, salvation came in the guise of a devil. Nero came after Claudius. Nero came after Claudius. And because Seneca was Nero's tutor, Seneca was allowed back into Rome. Seneca realized that being under a madman like Nero wasn't exactly the best way to have a career. So after a while, Seneca managed to convince Nero to allow him to retire. But unfortunately, Nero got suspicious of Seneca and tried to get Seneca killed. And Seneca took the man's way out and killed himself. In the long run, Seneca's main accomplishments are his works of philosophy, collected in the form of dialogues and letters. These are foundational works, or at least very popular works in the field of Stoic philosophy, and also his plays, which are foundational works in Western tragedy and Western drama. His philosophy and his drama, are so far apart the philosophy praising coolness dispassionateness and the plays seeming to revel in the blood and the sex and the awful things man is capable of that for a long time westerners refused to believe that these were by the same seneca but it appears they are we contain multitudes Seneca's Thyestes. While these plays are broken down into five acts, not much happens in them. So I'm going to summarize it all up. I'm going to summarize it all up. Yeah, I'm beginning, I am beginning to see where Shakespeare's poems get their incredibly long, not very eventful length from. Shakespeare and his friends, they read these at school, and they think, oh, you can just spend 50 pages on five things happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, some of it is, you know, beautiful to read out loud, because I will lose my focus if I don't read them out loud. But, it's long. Also, there's two tantaluses in here.
0: Yes, that is one of, I think, yes, it is uh, one of those things where the names can get uh, difficult. But Thaestes, the plot begins with Tantalus, Tantalus, who famously is stuck in a river in the underworld. He is thirsty, but when he leans down to the water, the water dries up. He is hungry, but when he raises his hand up, the grapes above him run away from him. He is perpetually tantalised, this Tantalus. Ah, but if this punishment wasn't enough, if this punishment wasn't enough, a fury drags Tantalus up to earth to see that not only has him and his son committed awful acts against their own family members, his own grandchildren will continue committing awful acts. Those awful acts will now be committed by Tantalus's grandson, Atreus and Thaestes, these utter monsters. We then cut to King Atreus, who is plotting how to get revenge on his brother Thyestes, because Thyestes himself is an evil, evil man. But Thyestes has also seemed to be on the downturn now, so Atreus is saying, my brother is weak, I will crush him, I will force him to suffer just as I have suffered. Atreus plans to lure Thyestes into his palace with a false truce, and the natural thing to do after that point is not to kill him, not to kill him first up, you kill his children first, and not only do you kill his children, no, you take his children, and you pop them in a pie, and you feed them to Thyestes, that old
1: chestnut. Very tasty, very roasty. Perfect for a winter's night.
0: <laughs> and just like they say in screenwriting, first you tell them what you're going to do, then you do it, then you tell them what you've just done. This play does that. We've been told that this is atreus's plan then a messenger comes in and tells us that that is what atreus has done and then we have atreus coming on stage to tell thyestes ha ha you won't believe what i've just made you do and then we end on an unhappy ending thyestes stuck there knowing what he has done knowing that in his very belly are his own children
1: dun dun, dun
0: that is the entirety of the plot this feels like this definitely is one of those myths that you could bang out in about 2 or 3 pages but that's what that's what seneca does he knows how the story is going to go and he knows that we know how the story is going to go so to give him the benefit of the doubt there is a level of suspense you know what's going to happen but He just pulls it out, pulls it out. And, oh, do you think it's going to change? Do you think it's going to change? Do you think he's going to save himself? No, no, we're going back on course for 50 pages. First impression, Sophie.
1: I think the addition of the ghost of Tantalus is kind of interesting. Um, Mostly because you would expect Tantalus to just be in Hades, enjoying, with heavily quotation marks implied, uh, his afterlife. Just... Starving and gasping for food and drink for the rest of eternity, um and then like he's like dragged outside to you know do one more thing, do one more deliciously bad thing to his I, to his bloodline.
0: I, I, um, I don't think he's going to be doing something to his bloodline. He's just watching them.
1: Well, I thought technically he was meant to be tempting them to do it because. Um, uh, Atreus is like, hey, hey, hey! I can feel a ghost in the shadows telling me to do it because it's not. I thought that
0: point? was. I thought that was like the the deep irony where you have Thaesti, you No, know, you have Tantalus first coming up saying, "Oh, how awful! Please, my 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 kindred, my progenitors, please don't do this." But then you have Atreus coming on and saying just like my grandfather, I'll live up to my grandfather's wishes. He's like, no, 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 I don't mean that. Please,
1: no. Well, you know, Fury, on with your task, Abominable Ghost. Let loose the Furies on your impious house. Like he is technically being forced to do that. On with your task, abominable ghost, let loose the furies on your impious house, let evil vie with evil, sword with sword, let anger be unchecked, repentance dumb, spurred by your insensate rage, let father's hate live on, and the long heritage of sin descend to their posterity leave none the respite for remorse, let crimes be born ever anew, and in their punishment each single sin give birth to more than one. Kind of thing.
0: I view this as being the sort of weird kind of justice that the Fury does. Where the the Furies in ancient Greek myth, the Furies or the Kindly Ones, Uh, for those fans of the Sandman, Uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, the Furies are there to punish you if you commit any crimes against your family members. And I find that the Furies here are sort of this kind of strange vision of justice where, you know, they want to punish you for hurting your family. So Tantalus, he killed his own son. So they're punishing Tantalus for killing his own son, but they're punishing him by pushing on his own children and his children's children to committing more crimes against their own family, which in turn will lead the Furies to punishing the family, which in turn will lead the family to hurting the family as punishment. But this punishment is itself a crime, which leads to the Furies wanting to, uh, uh, to hurt uh, the family some more. It is truly a metaphor for the system of punitive justice, isn't it?
1: Which is um, a little ironic, considering he's being forced to basically uh grease the wheels of the of the same crime for which he is being punished
0: perhaps again i'm i'm not really seeing it in this i think when it says on with your task let loose the furies i'm not sure if the ghost is actually doing that
1: Um...
0: so cast why the spell of okay maybe later on he says so so cast why thy spell of madness here and here on every part of this doomed house with this fury be they all possessed. So I'm wondering how willful it is on the ghost's part. On Tantalus's part.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, like, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of assuming that he's kind of radioactive with his crime. So just by being pulled out of Hades and just being sat in a corner, um, he is facilitating the crime to happen in the first place. Instead of because maybe Atreus might be like mm, actually nah maybe not I I I think I'll take it back or something or just straight up kill his brother instead of going the long way around to do the revenge and just do the short and easy thing but yeah it, it was also so for me what I've what I've done is also compared to texts um, the Seneca Thaistes one that we thankfully have the same version of, and one on theoi.com slash tech slash Seneca Thaistis dot HTML. And I definitely enjoyed the Penguin Books version more. Um, And in like line 68, he's like, back to my pools and streams and fleeing waters, back to the laden tree which shuns my very lips. Let me return to the black couch of my prison house. Let it be mine if I seem too little wretched to change my stream." If thy bed's missed, on, let me be left hemmed round with waves of fire. It's like, leave me alone in my own hell, please don't take me out to make things worse. So I'm just assuming from the general vibe of the two texts that Tantalus, Tantalus's very presence is radioactive spiritually, so he's placed in the corner to watch his progeny repeat his crimes Arguably more fancifully. Um and just and also facilitate. Yeah, stopping
0: the ante every time. He killed his own children and served it to someone else. But no. <laughs> his his grandchildren will eat their own children.
1: Yeah. Well like, uh you could argue if by I think by the gods perspective, it might have been a little bit more heinous the first round first time round because it was served to them. But that's uh I feel like that's very much a komosi komusa je ne sais quoi kind of situation. What we get
0: in this first part is I mentioned before how this it it is a kind of edging. Uh-huh. Don't know if I'm going to edit out that line, but <laughs> this is about Greek myth. An educated audience of Seneca's time would know the myth. We know exactly what's going to happen. And how this play works is it's like that Alfred Hitchcock thing. You, you put a bomb beneath the table... You show the bomb beneath the table, you show it ticking, and then you zoom up and then these characters are having conversations with each other. Ah, but all the time they are thinking, oh, this is going to go off, something terrible is going to happen. And in this play, we have this thing where it's all foreshadowing, it's all obvious foreshadowing, it's all these characters. In Tantalus' time, he's saying... Oh, it would be better for me to be down in the underworld being tortured. What's going to happen is so terrible, and then it goes on when it has Atreus thinking, "Oh, I need to think of what I should do to him. How can I punish him? Should I kill him? No, no, that's not enough and And it just keeps on building and build it it's heading towards the same point, but the entire thing is just sort of trying to build up and delay that point, delay the point of satisfaction. And what I find slightly odd about the point of satisfaction is that it happens off screen. If we don't see it, a messenger comes and tells us this. Now, one of the things that people say about the diff... One of the conventional things you'll hear about Greek and Roman drama is that in Greek drama, the violence happens via a messenger. A messenger will tell you about the violence that's happening. Ah, but in Roman tragedy the violence happens on stage here it does not here we have a messenger describing to us the the key act the key act of atreus killing his nephews and baking them in a pie i think i've added the pie detail i think he's just served as meat
1: uh, <laughs> yeah i think he's just served as meat it might be a stew it might be a stew but i don't think that i think the pie is a very british thing
0: Yes, I think Shakespeare added that to Titus Andronicus.
1: Yeah. Because um, later it kind of goes, oh, yes, see the fingies in the in the bowl?
0: That, um, yes, that moment. We're going to be jumping around this play. <laughs> uh, but the moment when Atreus reveals what he's done, reveals what he's made Thyestes do... It plays out almost like a James Bond villain thing. Let me find it. Uh...
1: Atreus is such a dick in this. It's like, oh, it's Lais. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, no, just let me see my sons. You know, let me see my sons. And also while that's happening, he's going, why am I crying? Oh, why? I... This tastes so good, but I can't eat any more. And it's like the stuff I'm eating is trying to, like, claw its way out, but it tastes so good and it's clearly f- fresh and, like, what is going on?
0: The dramatic irony in this play is almost at a parodic level. It, it is, uh, you know, beforehand, it's when Atreus is saying, Come, Thaestes, come into my house. I forgive you everything you've done and we should get along together. We have. Thaestes saying, oh, no, no, please, I don't want to go with you. But then his own children are saying, no, no, let's go with him, father. Let's go with him. This will be fine. So the the victims of this are pushing them forward into the house. And then we have after, after he's killed, uh, after Atreus has killed, the two nephews has fed them to Thaestes, we have Thaestes sitting there saying, well, everything seems all right now. I'm feeling good. My brother has forgiven me and I've had a magnificent meal. Why do I feel so sad, then? It, it, it is... The, the dramatic irony is just... You couldn't get away with that now. It's just too much now. <laughs> but like he's saying... And yet with those that have known evil days... One fault remains. The good time, when it comes, seems unbelievable. They will not trust it. Fortune may smile again. Those that have felt her heavy hand have little heart for laughter grief dost thou pluck at my sleeve again dost thou deny me happiness so he already knows that something's not that something's a bit off ah but then we have atreus coming in to give sort of a james bond villain line where thyestes says i have dined well and you have wined me well only one thing can add a culmination to my pleasure that i should share my pleasure with my sons and atreus says Consider them already with you here, in your embrace. Oh, that is... It's... Oh, they're closer to you than you could ever tell. Oh, wink, wink. Oh, Mr. Bond.
1: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge into the into your stomach, cell. Oh, my God. So terrible. It's like in...
0: It's, there was that line from the Hitman video games where Agent 47 is pretending to be a regular person. And he says, I am what you call... A corporate liquidator.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Thaisi's, like continues, because, oh yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and, you know, have, have some more food, have some more drink. And Thaisis, like, I shall accept your hospitable toast, brother, with pleasure. I libation first to our paternal gods, then drain the cup. But what is this? My hand will not obey me. The cup grows heavy. I can hardly lift it. The wine I try to drink avoids my lips. Some trick? The liquor dribbles down my chin, and see, the table rocked, the floor is shaking, the torch's light sinks low. The sky itself hangs dull and heavy, seeming to be lost between the daylight and the dark, and why? The ceiling of the heavens seemed to shake with violent convulsions more and more. The murk grows darker than the deepest darkness. Night is engulfed in night. All stars have fled. Whatever be the sparrow, may it spare my brother and my sons. Oh my vile head! Let the storm break, but let me see my children! Oh no!
0: And it's one of those things where the lead up, the lead, it's we know what's happened, but then still, Atreus is you know just gently teasing it out, teasing it out very slowly, parting the kimono. Uh, he is, where it's like Thyestes; he could just say outright, was like." oh, let me introduce you to your sons. And then he pulls out their heads and he shows them, oh, no, you've killed my children. Uh, but that's not enough. He still needs to lead up to the next revelation. We like, say, oh, what's... Oh, pl- uh, it's a ca- where Thaestes says, oh, you've killed my sons, but at least, please, please, at least let me give them a funeral. But Atreus <laughs> says, uh, Atreus says, you have them. All that remains of them and all that is not here is with you too. And Thaestes is saying, what does this mean? What are you talking about? Have you left them outside for the birds of prey to find them? And say, oh, no, no, Atreus says, you, you yourself have dined on your son's flesh. You have consumed this monstrous banquet.
1: And And Thaestes has this... No moment worthy of um, Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader.
0: It is a. I I would love the sequel to it. We know, actually, we do know the sequel. It's that this, you know, uh, awful family where they're all killing each other and doing awful things for each other, it doesn't end. It goes on into the next generation with Agamemnon and Menelaus. Agamemnon, who. whose own wife kills him and then his own son kills his mother, kills uh, Agamemnon's wife. And the only thing, according to ancient Greek drama, the only thing that stops this family's terrible cycle of violence is the invention of the jury system. That is the ending. (laughs) Really? Yes, at the end of Aeschylus' Oresteia trilogy, what? The Furies are going to destroy Orestes' mind? Ah, but what's going to save the day? Athena says, we shall invent a jury system. We don't need you, Furies. We will get six members of Orestes' peers to come by and judge him for his crime.
1: Uh, which begs the question, uh, if if the only thing that stopped... The 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 constant cycle of violence was the jury system. Were were the gods like going? You know what? The first crime has condemned the whole line into being dicks and and just murderous murderous bastards throughout the end of time. And they just can't help themselves from breeding because it's it's human thing to be doing. It's like, mm, are they okay? Are the gods okay? Don't they need- I
0: think twice. I think twice in ancient Greek myth, they try to kill all the humans. The, fir- the first time was intentional. The second time was an accident. Nah. That, that's enough, you know, those ancient Greek stories about this is why we have this. This is why we have this flower. This is why we have this animal. In Ovid, he gives an explanation for why some people have dark skin. And this is because... The, when the world was accidentally almost destroyed, when the Apollo's son, Apollo sun says, I'm going to drive the sun today, father. He gets in it, but then he's very bad at driving it and the sun falls out and fire engulfs the earth. So the reason why some people have dark skin is because their ancestors were terribly burned on that day.
1: I mean, melanin?
0: Yes. If... It's
1: sort of, it's, yeah, it's sort of correct. Oh <laughs> uh, I should be I should be cancelled. Oh my god. Oh
0: my god. I will give Farewell. you a le when I send this to you to be edited, you can choose to remove this part or not. <laughs> but Uh, You know, back to, you know, the build-up, the build-up, the build-up, where we have Thaestes saying, I feel so happy. Please let me have my sons. Ah, but your sons are with you. Oh my god, you've killed my sons. Please let me bury them. It's it's this build-up where it's like, oh, you've done something awful. Ah, but you've done something even more awful. Oh, what could it be? Oh no, you've done something even more awful. That sort of thing. Seneca, he doesn't settle for doing that once. He's, He's done that, he, he does that in the final act, but he also does that in the previous act. In the previous act, where we have the messenger telling the chorus what's happened, the messenger saying, the messenger is telling us that Atreus, he took the nephews and he bound them up like sacrificial animals in order to kill them. It happens here as well, where the chorus says, oh what happened and the messenger says oh it is awful he bound them up like sacrificial animals and the court says, oh my god that is awful who who did the deed it was him who did the deed oh that is awful surely it can't get any worse surely he only killed one or two of them he didn't kill all of them Ah oh, th- <laughs> and then the messenger says oh of course he killed all of them but if he had just done that that would have been kindness and the chorus is saying, oh, no, please, don't go on. It can't get any more awful than this. And it just go, and it's the same build-up where it's like, one of them says, this is the most awful thing I've ever heard. And then the messenger says, ah, just you wait. It,
1: <laughs> it gets worse. It's like, no, I can't. Yes, again. can. No, I can't. Yes, again.
0: can. These plays... You know, up until like the 18th, 19th century, these plays were... you had to read them, essentially. They were things that anyone with even a slight bit of culture in the Western world had to read, uh, preferably in the original Latin. They became less popular, I'd say, over the course of the 19th century and the early 20th century because they were viewed as being a bit too big a bit too rhetorical, a bit too, let's say, grandiose, and those aren't inherently bad things, but you can plainly see where those critics were coming from. It, You know, maybe they were wrong to view those as bad things, but they were not wrong in seeing this in these plays. This is not, this is nowhere close to being naturalistic or subdued.
1: No, No, this, uh... Yeah, no, this is a play that cannot be done in a stoic way. It's a little too hysterical and a little too nonsensical throughout the whole fucking piece. Like, even in um, Act 2, when um, Atreus is being so upset at the fact that his brother is still alive... It's not. It is not the words of a sane person. Am I a coward, sluggard, impotent, and what I count the worst of weaknesses in a successful king, still unavenged after so many crimes, so many slights committed on me by that miscreant brother, in violation of all sacred law, in violation of all sacred law too? Piece of shit.
0: Is yeah. it like this? Is the say this is the thing about him where he's evil, but even in a very specific way where he's seen all of his vices, they're like perverted virtues, where, you know, he's saying, oh, I am a coward. I haven't killed my brother yet. I must be brave and kill my brother. And then he's like, I must live up to filial piety. I must live up to my ancestors, my ancestor Tantalus, who also killed a family member. Uh, It is, and also later on, the thing that gets Thaestes in the bad situation is forgiveness and reconciliation. It is forgiving his brother and trying to reconcile with his brother. That is what gets him in this terrible situation. In this play, the world is so awful and so terrible that bravery and filial piety, these lead to Atreus being a monster. And forgiveness and reconciliation, this makes Thyestes a victim. It is a world where all the virtues lead to evil.
1: And, um, especially because, or maybe it's not even especially because, but it is especially damning that Atreus thinks, oh, should I involve my sons in this crime? Should I tell them what I'm planning on doing when, I'm, when I send them as messengers to my brothers? He says, I will not, not because it will make them less complicit, but just in case they might be Thaiste's natural sons and instinctively betray me because of that. Which is (laughs) but wild.
0: You almost see his conscience.
1: Yeah, for a brief second, he thinks, "Mm, should I I keep them complicit? Should I make them complicit or not? Or, you know, and then he goes, yes, because um, that would be the warrior thing to do actually first no because I would like to keep them innocent but then he's like actually yes I will um loop them in because they are they should be my sons um therefore they will agree with me and they will know that this is the absolutely correct and kingly thing to do but then he goes actually no I won't just in case they are not my natural sons but my my boy my um my brother's natural sons and so they instinctively know not to tell him but just in case they are my natural sons I also won't tell them because then they will instinctively know that if they do send the message to Thaestes and condemns them condemns him and his uh sons slash their cousins to a very unique kind of damnation, they will know subconsciously that this is the correct thing to do. And it's like, sir, sir, you're being so galaxy-brained right now. I am begging you to maybe just not do that.
0: It is, he is a person who certainly has thought this through a bit too much. <laughs> This is what happens when you spend all your days uh, brooding on revenge.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm just like, I swear I'm not like misinterpreting this, because I, I, I genuinely laughed out loud when I read it first, and I'm just looking for it. Um, yes, oh, Minister, my lord, I would advise you to employ some other instruments for your fell purpose. Young men are all too apt to learn bad lessons. The stratagems that you would have them use against their uncle, they may come in time to use against their father. Very often, a counsellor of crime has found his precepts employed against himself. And Atreus is like, they'll learn the ways of crime and villainy without a master. Their kingly life will teach them. Have no fear of their becoming villains. They were born so. Besides, what is to your mind harsh and cruel, what you call heartless and and inhuman conduct may well be happening on the other side. Your sons will know the trap you are preparing? They are not old enough to keep a secret. They would betray the plot. It takes a man experienced in defeat to learn discretion. <laughs> what? Sir? Oh, and, like, he, for a brief second, a trace, like, sees into the future... Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, let me alone, let me alone exact my own revenge. No, no, my heart, no bungling, no weakening now. If you would spare your sons, you will be sparing his. No, Agamemnon shall be a conscious agent of my plan, and Menelaus help him with full knowledge. And I'm just like, wait, wh- why are they showing up now? It's, um, are they, wait, oh, fuck. No, that is their sons' names, aren't, aren't they? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> scratch that and meat, Just scratch that out of the... the Menelaus, rebellion.
0: who, just like his father, will be cucked.
1: <laughs> God damn it. But yeah, no, my assistants shall be ignorant of the importance of their mission. I need no telling your words are locked within my breast by fear and duty, but by duty above all. It's like, well, your duty sucks, sir, uh, minister. But anyway.
0: On the note, or we mentioned the minister... We've mentioned the minister. Now, some people who have tried to square Seneca's stoic philosophy with his rather seemingly non-stoic plays have... In all of his plays, there does seem to be this character, this voice of reason, who is nevertheless powerless. And in this one, the minister, he's saying, oh, please, sir, please don't do that. Please don't do that, sir. Uh, It's like a a C-3PO stuck with Darth Vader. Uh, but it's like, oh, and but the minister is trying to say, please calm down. So please calm down. Oh, but the the man is so evil that he won't stop. People are trying to say that this is a comment on stoicism, where um, it's all well and good to have a teacher who, of stoicism trying to teach you to calm down and do these things, but ultimately some people they can't be tamed. Uh, and this comes one of those things where it is somewhat inconvenient that we don't know when these plays were written, we don't know at what point in Seneca's career he wrote these, because it will be very easy to make a biographical reading of these plays if they happen to have been written while Seneca was serving under Nero. These stories were maybe there's a self-insert character of a, of a rational, calm, stoic, trying to tell an objectively evil person to maybe calm down just a little bit. Uh, That would be a very tempting biographical reading, but we don't quite know enough about the biography to make that reading. It would would help, though. It would help.
1: Yeah, well, it kind of helps your case and that reading in that both plays that we're looking at today have that character just... A sideline character going, please, for the love of God, calm your tits and don't do this. It only leads to death.
0: It's like when people say, "Oh, what, what?" When people like uh, mock the humanities for being useless uh, as compared to science. We'll know that the it would be useful if people listened. If Nero listened to Stoic philosophy, maybe he wouldn't have killed so many people. It requires listening from people.
1: Yes. But on... So we've
0: mentioned the minister and this sort of pointless voice of reason. I want to talk about a relatively interesting use of the chorus, where the chorus in this one, it seems to be a kind of character. Usually the chorus is sort of a disembodied voice of reason or voice of moral uh, beliefs. In this one, the chorus seems to be like townspeople Outside of the palace, and they take everything on face value, so they don't know that Atreus is secretly planning to uh, kill his nephews. the The chorus are saying, uh, "Let me find it." Ah, uh, so the so after Atreus is saying, "I will pretend to forgive my brother and bring him back in." The chorus says, "At last, this royal seat, this ancient race of Anchus, sees its old." patricidal feud compose, strife lay to rest, what senseless folly drove our kings to shed each other's blood and use sinful means to win possession of a throne? Were they so covetous of royal citadels of power? Did they know where only perfect kinship can be found? And then it goes on to just believe that everything is fine. Uh, so the chorus in this one it's like it it's sort of a precursor to in Shakespeare's plays, Sometimes you'll cut to city people talking, citizens of a town, this down-on-the-ground-level view of big political acts, of people talking about them from a ground-level view. In this case, we have the chorus. They don't know the ending of this story. They're very hopeful. They think, oh, things are getting better now. Things are getting better. They're too optimistic. And it is actually, uh, when the messenger comes in, to tell us about Atreus killing his uh, nephews, the messenger tells it to the chorus. The chorus, who up until now have been saying, "Oh, everything's looking up now, everything's looking peachy," but then the messenger says, "He's killed his brother. He's killed his his nephews," and the chorus, is like, "Oh no! I can't believe this could ever happen!"
1: Oh no! Surprise, Pikachu! For me, like, um, the I am I agree. Um, with your take, but I will say some of the chorus pieces are were way too long. We're way too long. Cause it, it
0: occupies the same space as the chorus, but with a slightly less uh, uh, dramatically embedded way of doing things. Like this isn't in Shakespeare where you cut for like 50 lines from the townspeople. This one goes on for pages.
1: It, it truly does. And it has no need to.
0: like. Yeah, the thing about Seneca, we'll notice in a lot of his monologues, in Shakespeare, the monologues they develop, the characters' thoughts develop bit by bit. And in this one, it's not even that it's showing things from different angles. It's restating the same idea over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, like, um, you to whom the ruler of earth and ocean gives the dread power of life and death, be humble. That overweening face does not become you. No threat of yours that makes your subjects tremble is greater than that your master holds above you. Kings of the earth must bow to a higher kingdom. Some whom the rising sun sees high exalted, the same sun may see fallen at its departing. No man should put his trust in the smile of fortune. No man abandon hope in a time of trouble. The spinner of fate twines good and bad together, never lets fortune rest, keeps all things moving. Never was man so sure of the good God's favor that he could promise himself a safe tomorrow. Under God's hand, life's circle is ever revolving, the swift wheel turning. And I'm just going, that was so unnecessary even the and that was like the last paragraph of like act three before moving on to act four and the messenger going oh my god guys this has just happened chorus what is your news what country are we in the land of argos and of sparta where two brothers dwelt in love and harmony of corinth buttress twixt two warring seas and in the wild Danubian lands that shelter fugitive vandals all the eternal snows of cork Corkaxus, the nomad Sith's domain. What country is it that can be the scene of such unspeakable abominations? Like, what evil have you seen? Reveal it! And it's like, oh my god! Messenger, get to the point! (laughs) There's a lot of please get to the point in this in this play.
0: And we will get to the point by moving on to Medea. Medea. Seneca's Medea. All in one. Medea is married to Jason, but unfortunately Jason gets a divorce from her or has the marriage annulled based on some local marriage laws. But Jason wants to marry a new woman, a local woman, a woman of his own country. And Medea does not like this. And she is also literally a witch. So that is not someone you want to annoy. Medea curses Jason. She wants revenge against him. Medea is contemplating all the awful things she can do for revenge. Oh, what can she possibly do? Will it possibly involve killing her own children?
1: Well, what do you know it does?
0: Medea is sentenced to exile. But Medea, she starts crying, she starts pulling on his heartstrings, she starts playing the victim, just like all women. That's my question, Sophie. Isn't that right, Sophie? Don't the women play the victim just so they can go and kill their children? This is a regular thing that happens in the world, Sophie.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm very glad that I didn't just blindly say yes then. Woo! But yes. I will deliberately say yes.
0: But Creon, his heart is melted and he says, All right, you've asked for another day, another day, so you, a good, kind mother who would never hurt her children, can go and see her children one last time. Go on, come back into the city for another day. Jason wants to think the best of her, but he also knows she is objectively evil.
1: She has a history. She has baggage around that kind of thing. So, yeah. This
0: play emphasizes that she has previously killed her family members. But she spends the entirety of Act 4 whipping up her evil magic. The entirety, I repeat, the entirety of Act 4 whipping up her evil magic. And this evil magic turns out to be... Fire. Unquenchable fire. Fire that when you throw water on it, it becomes even bigger. It's a fire that runs through the house. Ah, but is this enough? Is this where she's going to stop? No. What does she do? She kills one of her sons. But then Jason says, Please, my dear, please don't kill the other son. Ah, but she says, No, I'll kill the other one. And she kills the other one. And then what does she do? Jason begs, Jason, he begs to die. He says, please kill me now. Let me die. But then Medea says, no. Then she gets on her dragon and flies away.
1: (laughs) I absolutely adore that the dragon slash, you know, the the chariot from her dad uh, just comes out of nowhere. And it's one of the best things ever. Just rides a dragon and goes away. Incredible.
0: She never gets any comeuppance. She is... is a, I mean, slay queen. Hashtag girl boss.
1: <laughs> the OG girl boss.
0: I mean, let's... Uh, this is... Let, let's be open here. There is no feminist reading of this play. There is no feminist... Uh, what? Well, maybe the woman has a... Po- no, no, this is about an evil woman who kills her children. There is no feminist reading to this.
1: I mean... Okay, n- n- with... A lot of creative licensing. And you I think it.
0: that creative licensing is mainly on Euripides' version of the play. Uh, in this one, Seneca is definitely of the school of opinion, which is bitches be crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, no, you know, I, I actually did read Euripides' version in university. And I do think Medea was a little bit more sympathetic. Um she she has a very tearful goodbye with her sons before she gacks them. If you wanted to be even more licensee with the original text, you could say, oh no, she just pretended to kill her sons. That's why she takes the bodies away, so that Jason can't bury them because they're still alive. It's just grape juice that's, you know, on their bodies. It's not their actual blood. Cause Medea does have a bit of a point um she has killed a lot of people but she has you know done it all for Jason she betrayed um the location and the means to acquire the golden fleece for Jason and when Jason couldn't get the throne that he was promised with the golden fleece she she tricked other people to do the killing for her so she could kind of keep her hands clean and she also did that for him. And every time she's had to burn bridges for Jason, and now that she is in exile, where is she meant to turn? Like, literally, that's one of her um, her complaints, I guess. Yeah. But whither shall I go? Shall I, perhaps, seek Phasus, Colchis, and my father's realm, whose soil is watered by a brother's blood? What land dost thou command me seek? What sea? The Eugene E U X I N E S. I can't, I don't know how to pronounce that. Eugene. I'm going to name it Eugene. The Eugene's jaws through which I led that band of noble princes when I followed thee, adulterer, through the, simpli- the Simpligades? Fuck. Little Iolcus, Tempe, Thessaly? Whatever way I opened up for thee, I closed against myself. Where shall I go? Thou drivest into exile, but hast given no place of banishment. I will go hence. The king, Crusa's father, bids me go, and I will do his bidding. Keep on me most dreadful punishment, it is my due. With cruel penalties, let royal wrath pursue thy mistress. Load my hands with chains, and in a dungeon of eternal night, imprison me, tis less than I deserve. Ungrateful one. It goes on and on, but... She has a point.
0: Yes, that is, I find that, uh, yes, that is definitely one of the themes in this, although I would say that it is, yes, she does have a point. Again, if we want to have a biographical reading of this, even though we don't know exactly what part of uh, Seneca's biography this takes place in, we have this thing where Jason, he objectively owes where he is now to Medea. Medea has helped him. She has done awful, evil things, and Jason's current state of uh, wealth, of power, he owes that to Medea using her magic to help him. And you could read this into Seneca's life, where Seneca's exile was ended by Nero. His, uh, his life became objectively better because of the worst person he knew. Yeah. And, but there's one of those... I I mean, I at least it does say that Medea does perhaps have a point, but there is also a part where you just think, we don't need to be that grateful to this evil person. We don't need to reward this evil person where it's like, Oh, Oh, I gave you this new job, Seneca. I killed the person who had the job before you. I don't feel, I don't particularly want to thank you. Uh, Just to anyone listening. I don't know if that actually occurred. That was just an example I pulled out of there. So don't, don't at me. Uh, But, it's, me. but i um, also think that perhaps you know she does have a point but it is also trying to show her psychology it's trying to show how she tries to give these not very convincing justifications of her own actions where she's saying oh i didn't do it oh no no y- yes i may have directly killed him. But no, I killed him for Jason. Therefore, it's really, it's really because of Jason. Pelias died for him, not me. So if you fear war, so I'm, I'm reading from Emily Wilson's translation. If you fear war, then drive us both from your kingdom. Why do you separate us? Both are guilty. Pelias died for him, not me. Charge him with theft. Desertion, my abandoned father, my brother torn apart, all the new crimes which even now he teaches his new brides, did not do them. I have done so much harm, but never for myself. to which you know she did do it, she, said, she admits she did all do all this crime, but she says, "Oh no, no, it's not really my fault, it's his fault.
1: Yeah, and she kind of also argues that she did good things. As well as the terrible things being specifically the princes. Duh, 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 duh. I saved the Argo. Had I heard the voice of maiden modesty or filial love, Greece and her leaders had regretted it, and he, thy son-in-law, had fallen first a victim to the fire-belching bull. Let fortune trample on me as she will. My hand has succored princes. I am glad. Assign the recompense for these my deeds. Condemn me if thou wilt, but tell the fault. Creon, I own my guilt. I touched by thy knees and I asked with outstretched hands, protecting aid. It's like, I withdrawn a safe asylum in thy realm if I must leave the city. Like, fine, I'll do it, but I helped you. Come on, throw, throw me a leg. <laughs> throw me a
0: leg. Comes what to that, that scene where she's begging Creon to stay. Uh- I mean I recently I recently saw the first half of an opera version I forget who the opera is by but I saw the first half of an opera version of this I I slept through most of it but then I, I and I left halfway through but I did see some of it in the opera version by Cherubini, I think that's it Luigi Carubini Carubini that one In that one, it is certainly the case where her sadness, her crying, her suffering, her saying, oh, please, let me stay one more day to Creon. All of that is genuine. All of that is genuinely from her heart. She is begging him, please, I am a suffering woman, and she genuinely is a suffering woman. In this version of the play, in Seneca's version, I myself... View it entirely as her just you know lying, putting on crocodile tears just to get on his good side. I think that that Seneca is definitely saying this woman is evil and she is pretending to be a weak victim purely so she can manipulate people.
1: I mean, my read was um, she wasn't necessarily being you know begging and pathetic. It was more of a you fucking hypocrite. Kind of vibe. Maybe she was throwing in the tears as well, because there it, it is later written um, heavy with yes. Um, so in scene Act Three, Scene One, restrain thy wrath, curb thy impetuous hastes, says the nurse. Um, On her cheeks the stain of bitter tears; her visage flushed, her breast shaken by sobs. She cries aloud, her eyes are drowned in scalding tears. Again, she laughs. All passions surge within her soul. She stays, her steps. She threatens, makes complaint, weeps, groans. Where will she fling the burden of her soul? Where will wreak her vengeance. Where will break this wave of fury? Passion overflows. She plans no easy crime, no ordinary deed. She conquers self. I recognize old signs of raging, something terrible she plans, some deed inhuman, devilish and wild. Ye gods, avert the horrors I foresee. And, like, for me, like, maybe in the privacy away from Creon's eye, she allows herself to go insane a little bit. While in front of Creon, like, she still has the whole hypocrite how dare you, and just holds herself in with her pride.
0: Yes, I, yeah. even if she is putting something on, she is also using some, you know, quite true things to try to pull him in. Exactly. Although on the note of, you know, Creon, in, in both of these plays, in both of these plays, you know, good good character attributes, good things to do, are twisted so that they lead to evil. In Thaestes, it is the brother saying, I, I will be brave. It is Atreus saying, I will be brave. I will be pious to my family. And that leads him to kill someone. And Thaestes saying, I will forgive my brother. I will try to let bygones be bygones. I will try to, uh, let my, try to reconcile with my family. That leads to him uh, eating his own children. In this play, it does seem that the quality of mercy... Mercy! It is people saying, "Oh, my dear, let's show her some kindness." That is what leads to, to the end. If they'd all been very strict and said, "No, get out," or if they killed her, then the tragedy would not have happened. It is because Creon says, "Oh, let me show some consideration and mercy for her." Okay, you can stay. This can't end badly. And Jason saying, "Oh, I, I assume that you know you're not that evil. I'll let you meet your children just a bit, and then you can go." Uh, it is the mercy that leads to evil in this play. That the world is so shit and the people in it so evil that even good things become bad.
1: Uh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. All uh, well, need goads unpunished, yada, 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 etc. etc. Banana peels be traps.
0: Uh, there's one part where Jason says she's still, I think, cares more for her children than her marriage. So, yeah, that is not a... that, that turns out to have been the wrong opinion to have.
1: Yes. She... The yeah. thing is, I'm not... Did she really care about her marriage? That's... That's my... Like, what did she care about? I, I kind of don't know. I feel she really cares about being slighted.
0: I mean, she was willing to go on a apparently the very first uh, ship voyage with him and across 12 impossible labours. That's thats Hercules, but, you know, other impossible labours. So she liked him enough to uh, go along with him on a rather difficult and unprecedented thing. It's one of those things where you... Bet- I loved you most of all and you betrayed me. Now I hate you most of all.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, no... No, no scorn, like oh, fuck, uh, no fury, like a woman scorned, or something yeah. along those lines. For me, it there is a lot of the fact that so many of these old style quotes, not quotes, but you know, proverbs, I guess, just keep coming out kind of really emphasizes in my mind just how classic with a capital C Medea is. Iconic with a capital I? I don't know about, but...
0: Hashtag Iconic. Iconic, like the baseball cap of the main character in Watch Dogs. Remember that? Mm. Remember the iconic baseball cap? I honestly do not.
1: I have not played that.
0: I think famously, Ubisoft. For the pre-order, they said get his iconic baseball cap. The game hasn't even come out yet. It is by definition not iconic.
1: Oh. Oh, oh, that's that's annoying. That hurts. That I don't like that at all. But anyway, um, do you think um Creon is a coward that bows to um? Because for me, like the my first read through of Creon was you know a coward that was quite terrified of Medea, rightfully so, and was. Um, very determined to kick her out immediately but couldn't and so I was like alright alright fine I, and, and sort of like you know crumples under pressure and gives her one day um, but in the second read through I was like actually uh, maybe Creon is perfectly justified and is just prudent to kick her out but then goes for uh, for a, a grace a graceful kingly thing to do by giving her that extra day which, how do you see Creon, the king?
0: He is a. I would say that he is meant to be a good king. He is meant to be a king who has the right level of strictness and the right level of human heart in him. And um, where in this play, because it is a tragedy, his his virtue, his, his the good thing in him, is used to create the tragedy. Where the human heart is mercy, uh, is I think at one point Medea even tries to play on his idea of being a good king in such a way that uh, he, uh, you know, makes these mistakes. Let me find it. Uh, So Medea says, if you are, so Medea says to him, if you are judging, seek the truth. If ruling, give your orders. And Creon says, you must submit, you must submit to power, just or unjust, and Medea says kingdoms must act unjustly, never last. So he, she is trying to play on his reputation and his feeling that he is not just a king giving orders, that he is a good king. And in the end, uh, this turns out to be to both of their cost. But I think that Creon is meant to be a good king, one who lets his mercy go a bit wrong. What about Jason, though? It, he is definitely. It's like when you hear about a divorce proceeding, the the image we get of Jason is very much the man side of the story. It's like, oh well, I, I just I just love this other woman, and I tried to explain that to her very calmly, but she's just a crazy bitch, you know. She just came at me, you know.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that's such a that's a that's such an early two thousands kind of vibe, very British comedy, but yeah. My mind is fixed. I go to her with prayers. She starts at at sight of me. Her look grows wild, hatred she shows and grief, as like um, and Jason tries to placate her by going, you know, when angry Creon thought to have thee slain, urged by my prayers, he gave thee banishment. And Medea's like, I looked for a reward. The gift I see is exile. And she just after his greeting, she has. Just the longest tirade of basically, how dare you? And then Jason's like, look, I, Creon said we should kill you, and I begged him not to, and, and it's just banishment, okay? And it's like, okay, banishment. Judge, Judge, Ooh. Your Honor,
0: I, I tried to be reasonable. I did everything I could. I was so kind to her, and look at her, look at that bitch.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's one part where I do feel that it almost feels like a a sort of 1950s cartoon, uh, a 1950s newspaper cartoon, those sort of sexist jokes, where where apparently, I didn't know this before reading this play, but apparently Jason and the Argonauts were the very first ship to sail the sea. Before that point, no one had sailed the sea, the sea was just an awful thing. And one of the things that I think they said explicitly in this is that Jason, he managed to tame the sea, Uh, but he couldn't tame that woman, Oh, he could tame the sea, but he couldn't tame his own wife. It, <laughs> it does feel like a sort of a, a newspaper comic from the 1950s, where you, you, you first show one image and it's a man in a circus and he's, you know, one of those lion tamers. He's keeping the lion back. He's keeping the lion back. And then you cut to him at home and his wife is just nagging him all the time and he's deflated and defeated on his, on his couch. It's that kind of joke. Oh I I could tame the sea ah but this woman ah but my old ball and chain she she isn't she she's much worse than the sea
1: Yeah and there's a lot of like ocean imagery um in this um you know the wind the the waves of hatred um all that jazz um so it makes sense that well at least it makes symbolic sense that Jason struggles so much to conquer the sea that is Medea because frankly he wouldn't have been able to do it without her frankly like he had the sea on his side the whole time he was on the ship and then he fucked it literally and figuratively I guess that's an uncomfortable image in my head I'm so sorry
0: and take arms against the sea of troubles Yes, you can penetrate the sea but you can never dominate it
1: (laughs) But yeah, how does this conversation end again? Because I'm just like, Jason. um... Would I might grant thy prayer? Paternal love forbids me. Creon's self could not compel me to do, compel me to it. They alone lighten the sorrow of a grief parched soul. For them I live. I sooner would resign breath, members light, and Medea aside. Tis well. He loves his sons. This then, the place where he may feel a wound. Before I go, thou wilt at least permit that I should give my sons a last farewell, a last embrace. For one thing more I ask, if in my grief I've poured forth threatening words, retain them not in mind. I let memory hold only my softest speech, my words of wrath obliterate. Jason, I have erased them all from my remembrance. I would counsel thee be calm. Act gently. Calmness quiets pain. <laughs> but yeah, Jason um is a little too naive in this play i feel
0: he's a himbo it is certainly he perhaps thinks too well of her
1: or he sees her actions through actions through rose tinted glasses cuz you know you know she did those things for me so for me and us and my children she won't do much more not fully appreciating are that all of those things that he she helped him with they were also in her way because she was kind of like trapped where she was originally right she was kind of like a captive princess and wanted a little bit more freedom that's kind of why she probably started her witchcraft in the first place and she just wanted to go away and so she was like hey a boat full of princes our a our boat goals full of align. lovely
0: men, all naked and oiled. Those details I am adding.
1: Yes. So, yes, our, our goals align. I will help you because it helps me. And when they get to the, the cutting up the body of the, of the dude, tricking the daughters to do it, it's like, oh, I was promised a queenhood here. But apparently that is not the case. So for Jason... Because,
0: woman, you are a foreigner.
1: Yeah so like so for my for Jason and for myself I will do this and now that um Jason has betrayed her it's like you know what I will do this for myself and Jason doesn't fully appreciate that, that beforehand she was also doing it for herself as well
0: yeah he is he is a person who is surprised when it is not about me so why is it why I, I forget what what's I I'm forgetting the the broken English of that meme. So like, why is it not about me? What's the one I get uncomfortable when it is not about me? I think that's it.
1: <laughs>
0: but yet certainly I will say it is now my head canon that this is Jason telling this to an arbitrator later on. This is his version of events. <laughs> she was a crazy bitch. She even said she was a crazy bitch. Go on, read back what I just told you. She says, "I am a crazy bitch." See?
1: <laughs> oh my god. Um. So that's basically Act Three, Scene Two, according to um version that I read, which was gutenberg.org slash files number 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 Medea. I, I
0: think, frankly, we've uh, we've I think we've said, really... Do you have anything else to say? Because I think we've said all there is to say about this.
1: Uh, kind of, yeah. We, will, we haven't really touched on the plot point that she gives her son's um, gifts to the new bride and, and to the king, which poisons them and also burns them alive.
0: Okay, yes. I, I was briefly wondering, why doesn't she just kill his new wife? Why doesn't she do that? Oh, she does do that. She wants to kill everything.
1: Yeah, she does. She absolutely murdered the shit out of everyone that she could. My notes for... There was a lot of names in this that I just did not know about. So in Act two, Act 4, Scene 2, Ixion was strapped to a burning wheel for breaking guest-host relations, both as a host and a guest. So it goes back to Tantalus as well. Tantalus offered his son as sacrifice to the gods to test the omniscience. I mean, it's an interesting
0: way to phrase that, that he was just being a bad host by serving his son up.
1: (laughs) Well, Tantalus was being a bad host by serving his son to the gods. Ixion was being a bad host by just breaking guest-host relations as, you know, on both ends. And you could potentially argue that Medea was also breaking the guest-host sanctity by you know giving gifts to her guests that straight up murdered them and using her sons to do it again she kind of did it did her crime by not dirtying her own hands this time by giving her sons a cloak to give to the bride and then and then she just dies poisoned act 4 scene 3 chorus oh no she gone done and did it <laughs> this act in
0: twenty- this one the chorus does seem to be on stage um, in the in the midst of the fire i will say that you know people i think the agreement among the scholarship is that these plays by seneca are meant to be chamber chamber plays you know these aren't no one produced these plays these weren't meant to be performed these are things you you read as a script uh, i don't think these have actually been produced actually ever i mean i'm sure sometime they've been produced but Yes, it would be a, a, a feat of special effects. <laughs> uh, really I mean, If, if there's one uh, producer who could um, put aside the money and the ethics to do this, I imagine it would be Nero. I, I imagine how Nero would feel finding these plays and saying, "Oh, Seneca, I can do this for you. There's a house down there with some extras that I can burn to death."
1: Yeah, I've got some couple of criminals that I've like you know uh, decided they are not worth keeping around I could cover them in tar. I could cover them in oil and we could literally set them on fire with with a cloak they don't care if the dude if the lady on stage is a dude that's the whole point it's like "Mm, no thanks thanks but no thanks Nero we appreciate it
0: so no I can do the musical accompaniment
1: oh no it's uh,
0: wasn't that there was a... Oh, I think there, this might be a false anecdote. It might be one of those false anecdotes about the ancient world that came about in the modern period, or it might be a false anecdote that genuinely came for the ancient world, but is nevertheless not true. Or it might be a true fact, so take those three options. But uh, there's that story that in ancient Greece, they would take... If there was a death scene in a play, they would take condemned criminals and kill them on stage. Uh, that was their special
1: effects. (laughs) I mean, yeah, give them them a a good drug. Give give them a good good stiff drink beforehand to keep them docile. Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) Oh, my God. Terrible. But
0: on the note of this being like a... You know, both of these plays... There's not much visual information in them. They do talk a lot about visual things, but I remember, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, there was a, you know, some BBC, let's talk to various playwrights about the craft of playwriting. And one of the playwrights said, you must consider to yourself, could you make this a radio play without changing anything? If you could make it a radio play without changing anything, then probably add in a few more stage directions and add in a few more things, like he goes up and starts shaking the cupboard. He started doing physical things. These plays, it is very much people speaking. There is no visual information. There is no stage blocking. This is just people speaking to each other. Maybe that is good, but uh, there it is just speaking. There's no... Blocking mise en scene or stage directions here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, basically, the only stage directions that you kind of get is exuant and enter a person, and that's basically it.
0: It is certainly something to be read and not seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, well, mm, I feel like it'd be quite fun to read aloud at a campsite, at least in this iteration mostly just because i don't know who any of these people are when they start mentioning um even in the first goddamn um act and scene lucina never heard of her guardian of the genial bed mat genial marriage bed palace may refer to um titan god of battle and warcraft um father of nike kratos and beer and Styx. um or it could have referred to Athena, or it could have referred to Typhus, son of Hagnius, or of Forbus and Hermina, and the helmsman of the Argonauts, which is far more likely, but also she was going, gods and ladies of the underworld, and women with snaky hair, hear me, I'm about to do a crime, and I need your assistance. I'm assuming Pallas is referring to Athena, or even Titan God of Battle of Warcraft. Just so many people. And I guess at the time when this was first written or published or produced or whatever, enough oral storytelling about these people, these characters, would have been occurring that, you know, hey, let's tell the story of Medea to each other. You can be the chorus, you can be Jason, I can be Medea because it was my idea and I'm a, dr- I'm a dramatic bitch come on guys let me let me be my dear um i can do my falsetto voice <laughs> i can do it so well i'm a real boy but yeah so i don't this is not a really good solitary read because it so little happens but um putting feeling into the words and Citing them as you would a play but to your bored friends in the middle of the winter where you can't go outside and there's only so much firelight left then that yeah that could be a good time and also you can all just you know punch each other's shoulders going bitches be crazy hey
0: yeah so thank god our wives can't read (laughs) so do you have any other comments or should i end it there
1: well, no, I, mean, I was basically just going to say, like, now that we've, like, had two pieces of, of you know, media quite casually murdering children and uh, serving them up to their families, I'm starting to feel a little bit more prepared for Titus Andronicus.
0: It has become a mere trope. It's lost its shock value.
1: E- yeah, that- Especially because that was not the part that, that I found most shocking.
0: <laughs> about uh, Titus Andronicus? Or yeah. Or about these plays?
1: No, the, 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 about Titus Andronicus, yeah.
0: Yes, the, uh, the part where not only is she raped, but her tongue is cut out and her arms are cut off so that she can't say it or write it to anyone.
1: Yeah. Oh, and just insult to injury, just shoves sticks into her armstomps, like a fucking scarecrow. It's like, oh my God.
0: In case it needs to be said for next time, trigger warning.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's I'm not going to have a good time. <laughs>
0: <sighs> so that was Seneca's Tragedies. Diestes and Medea. We have touched once again the ancient world, and thankfully or unthankfully, those were the two big guys from the ancient world, from ancient Rome, the kinds of people that Shakespeare and his pals would have read. I think the only other one is Terence, another comedian. I don't think we're gonna go back to Terence, but you know, if Sophie wants to, do you want to, Sophie? Do you want to dip back into the ancient world ever again?
1: I mean, so long as A, they're short and B, relevant to the Shakespearean play, sure, why not?
0: Yes, that is the reason why we were doing these Ancient Ones. We did Plautus because it related to the comedy, of Edith, and this time we did Seneca because he did Ancient Tragedy and Shakespeare's next work, his Titus Andronicus. Is the most senecan of Shakespeare's tragedies, set in ancient Rome and really bloody, really violent. But, Sophie, what was one thing that you did not like about I, I, I really spaced that out. What was <laughs> What was one thing you didn't like about this play?
1: Um, so for, for Thaistes, I was not a huge fan of the chorus. Except for that one scene when the messenger was like, Oh no, guys, something terrible has happened, and the chorus is like, What, man? Like, almost like um Dora the Explorer. Um and the and the messenger's like, and this happened. How and do that you happened. say
0: cannibalism?
1: <laughs> what? Oh no. Could anything get any worse, but it does Dora? oh no! <laughs> um, like if you play it in a weird way, that'd be very funny. um so the thing I didn't like about Thestistes is the chorus because I genuinely do not believe they were very necessary, except for that one scene which i which I found funny, and I probably shouldn't have um, and for Medea. The thing I didn't like, I actually, no, what did I didn't, what did I not like about Medea the play? It might probably be the chorus again, just because like, I get that it was meant to keep the, the sea imagery and the symbolism going as a through line, but it was so unnecessary. So yeah, both plays, the chorus.
0: When it comes to what I didn't like about these plays, it is, I mean, uh, I don't particularly like, I I, I did mention how before the level of lead up, the level of foreshadowing, the level of dramatic irony gets parodic. And I do feel that in Thaestes, at least, it does tip over into being parodic. It does tip over into being, oh, just, look, we know what's happening. Just get to the point. You don't need to be doing this ramping, 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 ramping. At a certain point, the audience just starts laughing at a certain point. Uh, It it was, you could have cut out 10 pages of lead up. That would have made it um, suitably suspenseful. And one thing that you liked about the plays
1: Alrighty, so for Thaestes, I'm not gonna lie, I did actually enjoy Atreus, just because he's so incredibly evil. Um, He's like, yeah, no, they'll learn villainy from just being kings. So, shrug emoji, and the, as, as you have described him, absolute Bond villain. Oh yes, you're Your sons are are in your embrace. There will never be a day where you won't have them with you. Here, have their heads. Kiss them. Love them. And uh, it's like, oh, no, wait. Where's where's the sons of my bodies? Oh, yeah, no. They're already buried in you, in your gut. Uh, It's just like, Christ. It's so, so incredibly pointlessly evil Disney villain a hundred percent (laughs) and for and um for Medea I liked Medea because the the whole reading it through twice once for the experience and the second time for notes I was like okay you can play Medea this way and then you can um play Creon this way or that way um and just having those scenarios going along in my head going which would be the most dramatically impactful fun if she did inside by the time she gets on her dragon and goes like um that kind of stuff and so I really enjoyed it as a potential play
0: the best kind of support i like what you could have been <laughs> what i like about this play I, I, it's sort of what sophie liked it was just how evil these characters are there is no that you know that that kind of writing advice where oh every villain is the hero of their own story now these characters they explicitly say i am evil i am going to do evil things if i can't do an evil thing then i consider myself a failure it is incredibly incredibly open about just how evil they are and it's almost like a proto-romantic idea of it is good to Stand for something with all your might, no matter what it is. To be evil with all your heart, that itself is admirable. I think even Medea says, if I die, let everything die with me, or something like that. It is it is just, let us be evil in the most uh, moustache-twirling, excessive way possible.
1: And that was definitely the fun part. Absolutely. <laughs> And our minister, come on, duty bound binds me into following you. No, no! Tell that his sons send a letter to his fucking brother, minister. Seneca, ugh.
0: That was Seneca's tragedies, Medea and Thyestes. Next time, we are doing Shakespeare's, William Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus. And we've already said it before, but a trigger warning first up. This play contains cannibalism, mutilation, and rape. Don't want to make a Tony the Tiger joke. There, are
1: great. Oh, my God.
0: See you next time.
1: Uh see you next time!
0: Thank you for listening to Shakespeare and Powell. A list of references to the work cited in today's episode can be found in the episode description. The opening, interstitial, and closing music of this podcast is a public domain recording of Henry Purcell's The Fairy Queen, sourced from newsopen.org. Thank you for listening.